Anytime together as the people of God, we get to open our mouths and express praise and thanks to God together. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's a privilege. So let's pray for them and let's pray for our time together as we get started uh, here in uh, God's word. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name this morning, knowing that you have so much you want to say to us, your people. And so we ask that by your spirit and by your word, that you would speak strongly and clearly to our hearts, that you'd comfort us, you'd reinforce all the reasons that we can trust you for who you are and what you've done. And so in all the, all the areas that I focus on this morning, I pray that you expand them in the hearts of the the people here listening. I pray that you take what's, what's in front of us and make it something that changes us and empowers us to live lives firm in faith. In your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, good morning. Welcome once more. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Charlie Hogsett. I'm an elder here at the church, and I'm glad to close down our series uh, in Advent, looking at Isaiah 9, uh, the first seven verses there as we prepare our hearts uh, for the birth of Christ. We celebrate that in just a few days, and so welcome into that. If you're a guest here this morning for visiting family this weekend, we're glad to have you here. We want to encourage you, and we want to point you to Christ, so we're glad you're here. Um, but this morning, we're going to be discussing specifically how Advent and the coming of Christ empowers us as his people to rejoice in peace. We can rejoice in peace. And so what if I told you that I could prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that your future will be safe, it'll be secure, and that everything will be okay? So let's say that we meet at a coffee shop, we order some drinks, we sit down, we share a few pleasantries, and then we get down to business, and I look you in the eyes and I say, look, Richard, the next few years are going to get really, really tough for you. It's going to be really difficult, and that's just how it's going to be. Nothing I can do about that right now, but I can tell you that you're going to be okay. You'll be safe, and you'll be secure, and you will endure this. I promise you. So Richard, known him for a long time, he's probably like, that's what, he's an elder at the church. He's supposed to say those things, right? He's supposed to reassure me and comfort me. Um, Great. Thanks. But then I doubled down, like, no, Richard, seriously, man, your future is absolutely secure. Everything is going to be okay, and I can prove it to you. I can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that your future is secure. At this point, you're probably thinking, like, how can I get out of this conversation? Maybe you forgot your grandma's birthday party was happening at that exact same time across town, and you need to get out of here. You're starting to think those thoughts. And then I say, Richard, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to make this awkward, but, like, I can prove that your, your future is secure, okay? Ask me to do anything. Ask me to perform any sign or wonder to prove to you that I know what I'm talking about. I'll take this coffee mug, and I will turn it into a velociraptor. I will, uh, I will transport you immediately to a tropical beach of your choice just to prove to you that everything is going to be okay. I don't know how you'd respond to that. You'd probably be weirded out on your way to your grandma's birthday party, probably. But the people of God in this section uh, of Isaiah, they were led by a man who had a very similar interaction. 
Uh, life had already been really difficult for the people of God uh, in many ways, and it was about to get tougher. Uh, a few hundred years prior to this, um, Israel had actually split into two kingdoms. Uh, there was Israel in the north, and there was Judah in the south, and they did not get along very well. In Isaiah, he was a prophet that was sent by God to the southern kingdom, to Judah. And to their east, the kingdom of Assyria was growing in power. And they were known for being very brutal, uh, very violent, uh, and they were expanding their boundaries in that area. So everyone there, they were scared about being uprooted from their homes, about losing their land, about being oppressed by this uh, empire. Um, Or ultimately, they were worried about being killed uh, by these vicious people whose rule and whose reign was spreading further and further. And so Israel, in the north, they took some action. And they formed an alliance with their neighbor, Syria. And their first move as an alliance was to come after Judah. They wanted to make war there. They wanted to remove Judah's king. And they wanted to install their own king to try to stand up to this Assyrian threat. And so Judah was facing war on two fronts. Israel and Syria to their north, and then Assyria from the east. And their king, King Ahaz, he was just a straight-up bad king. And you can find more detail about that in 2 Kings 16. Uh, But Isaiah, he was sent to talk to King Ahaz as these enemies from the north and these enemies from the east loomed over them. And for God's people in this time, war was inevitable. Violence was about to break out. The enemies were at the gates. And so what was King Ahaz going to do? We today... We can be content with a certain level of oppression. We can be content with submitting ourselves to another king so that we can avoid all the pain and all the suffering that comes with war in a broken world. But as the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, our King, he brings complete and full justice and certainty to his people. And having peace with God, we can be made firm in faith and we can take part in his work of spreading his peace to the oppressed. And so we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9 again. We're going to read the first seven verses. If you want a copy of God's word, raise your hand and we'll get them to you. This is a gift to you. If you do not have a copy of God's word, please, please take it. But we will be in Isaiah chapter 9 again, verses 1 through 7, as we close down our series in Advent. It says this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought, the contempt, uh, brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then our verses for this morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Our first point this morning as we study uh, this passage is, if you can't beat them, don't join them. If you can't beat them, don't join them. So back to King Ahaz again. He's facing enemies from his north. He's facing enemies from his east. War was inevitable, but because God was faithful, he was still with Judah. Despite this terrible king, despite their many failures, God remained faithful to his covenant that there would be a ruler in the line of David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And so because God is faithful, he sent Isaiah to King Ahaz with a very specific message. You can turn back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3 if you want. But God told Isaiah that it was bring your son to work day when he went to share this really important message with the king. And Isaiah's son, his name was Sher Jashub, which means a remnant shall return. You might see that in your Bible, the note there. A remnant shall return. And so Isaiah, he goes to King Ahaz to tell him, hey, look, the next few years are going to get really tough, and that's just how it's going to be. Nothing can change that now. But I promise you, God is faithful, and you can be careful, you can be quiet, and you do not need to fear. And then Isaiah tells him this amazing prophecy in chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim, or the northern kingdom, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. And then this, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So Isaiah, both with his son and with this prophecy, they're basically screaming at King Ahaz, your future is secure, everything's going to be okay, you're not going to be wiped off the face of the earth, I promise you, So stand firm in faith. Don't worry, Ahaz. In 65 years, your neighbors to the north, they're not even going to be a thing anymore. It'll be gone. But Judah, they will survive, I promise. You have my word. So again, stand firm in faith. And Ahaz was like, you know, I don't know, Isaiah. I mean, you're a prophet and you're supposed to say these kind of things. So, I mean, yeah, I'm scared. This is really difficult. This is going to be really tough. It's getting real, really, really quickly, and I have to make some hard decisions here. So God takes it even a step further and says to King Ahaz, Ask me for a sign. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven, and I will prove to you that what I'm saying is true, that my word is good, and that you can trust me with Judah's future. So think about that for a sec. The God of all creation is saying, I can prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that your future is secure, that you will not be wiped off the face of the earth in light of these amazing, crazy threats that are coming your way. So that's not an offer that many people in Scripture have received. But Ahaz, he swings and misses here. He says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. 
So this is where Isaiah and his son, they probably do, you know, facepalm right at the same time. Seriously, Ahaz, you could have had full assurance and proof that God is with you, even though you've been a terrible king in every respect. And don't you love how, how, uh, how spiritual his response sounds? I will not put the Lord to the test. It just shows that we can make faithless decisions that sound really, really faithful. But rather than trusting God, Ahaz decides that if he couldn't beat him, he would join him. And so he basically tells Isaiah, you know, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test, but how about this? I've got a three-step plan. Step one, we go to Assyria before they come to us. All right? Step two, we empty the temple and the treasury of all of our gold and all of our treasures, and we just give that to them. Step three, we let them rule over us. Drop the mic, get out of there. How does that sound, Isaiah? Again, when faced with battles that he couldn't win, Ahaz sold out. He settled, and he was comfortable with a certain level of oppression. And the people of God ended up paying for it. He took all their treasure that they'd acquired, that was given to them graciously by God, and in uh, a pursuit of some cheap version of peace, He chose to submit himself and God's people to a lesser king. In that last part of Isaiah 7, God told him that Assyria is basically going to overrun Judah just like a river that goes over its banks. As those who are quite close to the Red River, we know how that can look. And it also describes how Assyria was like a razor that was going to trim God's people and that it would basically only take a few animals to feed the remnant of Judah that would be left over after Assyria overtook and ran Judah for a while. So God's people, uh, God told him it's going to get really tough. And we can be a lot like King Ahaz. We can make compromises uh, with the world rather than trusting God. Because we're just really used to it. We're used to this place. We're used to its systems and its desires. And so it's easy for us to be okay with a certain level of oppression. And so we sell out and we settle all the time. It's easier for us to submit to those lesser rulers in our lives because they're, they're familiar. Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses, it tells us that when we were dead in sin before faith in Christ... We followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work, and the sons of disobedience. And so submitting ourselves to God's enemies is natural for us. It's what we're used to. In this world, it's run by Satan, and we face battles that are inside of us as well as battles that are outside of us. And when we can't beat them, it is our natural disposition to join them. And so what does that look like? For you, where do you tend to cut deals with the world, uh, the world in exchange for some version of, of peace? Where do you make faithful, faithless decisions that start to sound a little faithful? For me, when life got hard uh, a couple years ago, it was really, really hard to trust that my future was secure and that everything was going to be okay. And so I settled for a cheaper version of peace. I had my three step plan I would resign from ministry. I would get another job, and I would hopefully find some sort of peace in that. And I actually experienced that peace temporarily. We just saw some pictures uh, last night um, from uh, New Year's Eve 2019 when I'd made a couple sales, my new job, everything was going okay. But in the end, that peace was only temporary. 
and it did not last. And I actually ended up getting fired from that job. And I was left reeling and confused and bitter and angry for a long time. And so what is your three-step plan for finding cheap peace? Or maybe it's one step, or maybe it's five steps. I don't know. But we all have a plan. And when we are faced with that oppression from sin or from others, we can't beat them, so it makes sense to join them. But that's why we said Merry Christmas at the beginning of this message, right? Because there's good news for people like us. Because by faith in Christ, when we can't beat them, we get to trust him. And so that's our second point this morning. We get to trust Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So remember, King Ahaz had this amazing opportunity that not many people in the history of the world have had. Through Isaiah, God was going to go to great lengths to affirm that Judah's future was secure, that everything would be okay. And he promised that uh, he would confirm this through crazy, amazing signs, uh, anything that Ahaz wanted to prove that God was faithful. And so this time of year, we've heard Isaiah 7.14 many, many times. Um, But if you were King Ahaz or if you were a citizen of Judah at the time, this would probably have been the last thing you would have put on your Christmas card. It says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the kids said it for us this morning. This is an amazing promise for us now as the people of God. But at that time, the people of Judah, this was a pretty strong rebuke. This wasn't Isaiah's family Christmas card with his kids next to him saying, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You should call him Emmanuel. But this is God actually rebuking King Ahaz pretty directly. And if you read that passage, the verses around Isaiah 7.14, you'll see that God is wearied by Ahaz. And he's saying, all right, big guy, you do not want a sign from me. I get it. I do not like it. And I know that you're going to sell everything out to your enemy. You're going to give up all your treasure for some cheap version of peace. So guess what? You don't want a sign, but I'm going to give you one anyway. You're failing to stand firm in faith. You're cutting deals with your enemies. And so it looks like I need to step in. I need to intervene. You obviously don't trust me, nor do you care for your people very well. You didn't listen to Isaiah and his son, and so I'm going to send my son. The virgin shall conceive and bear a child. His name will be Emmanuel. And then Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. He should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So if you were in Judah at that time, how would you have responded to that amazing truth? God's people had acted out of fear rather than by faith, and they sold out, and they settled, and they cut deals, and they submitted themselves to a lesser king, But despite all of that, God in his faithfulness acted. He didn't reject them, but he took this opportunity to glorify himself in pointing toward the advent of his son. Again, verse 6 into verse 7. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. Again, if you were in Judah at that time, that would be crazy, knowing your history. Assyria, they were expanding their borders, they were destroying, and they were demolishing people left and right. But this son, 
This Prince of Peace, he is going to usher in true and complete peace and justice that would never, ever stop increasing or spreading. How encouraging would that be to hear that? On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Nothing was going to break God's promise to keep a ruler on the throne of David. Not even Assyria. This son who was to come was so much greater and so much more powerful than even the worst and most vicious and brutal people the world could throw at God's people. And then lastly, at the end of seven, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Did Ahab have much zeal for the glory of God and the good of his people? God is far more concerned with establishing his rule and his reign over this broken and rebellious world than any of us are. And in the birth of Christ, this true king, peace, justice, was truly breaking in to this world that had rejected God and was broken with sin. This peace and this judges, uh, justice would be established and it would spread and it would never stop. This baby in Bethlehem, was more powerful and more good and more faithful and more concerned with God's glory and the good of his people than any earthly king. Where Ahaz failed to trust, Jesus always trusted. Where we settle, where we sell out, where we cut deals, Jesus never did. And so in that, he is our righteousness. He is our example. He is our strength. He was facing enemies on two fronts. His own people, the people that he'd come to save. And then there were uh, the Roman oppressors who were ruling over the time of uh, Jesus' life. His people turned him over to the Romans who crucified him. So both Jew and Gentile rejected that Messiah, uh, Messiah and they played crucial roles in his death and in his condemnation. But now... We celebrate the fact that in place of both Jew and Gentile, Jesus experienced the wrath of his Father so that we could have that increasing and eternal peace in this life and in the life to come. We can trust this Prince of Peace. And by faith in him, we are counted righteous. It's just as though we always trusted the Lord in the face of oppression and when we were faced with uncertainty. It's just as though we never, ever, ever submitted ourselves to a lesser king who would rule over us with a rod of iron and oppress us and take from us and destroy us and hurt us. In his death on the cross, we're forgiven for cutting those deals, for being okay with a certain level of oppression. And by faith, we no longer need to settle for that temporary version of peace because in Christ... We have increasing peace now as we await that full and complete peace that we have with living in his presence. Merry Christmas. That is awesome. The word peace here in verses 6 and 7 uh, is probably one of the more popular words in the Hebrew language. Um, shalom. It's used for many different things. Um, and translating it as peace into English is really about the best that we can do. Uh, but this word shalom, it means so much more than just an absence of, of strife or trouble. It has this connotation of fullness, of completeness, of being whole. 
And in the context of this passage, it means there's complete and full safety and security from all of God's enemies. This child, he was born in a manger, but we sing about that, and do we forget that he was so grand and he was so glorious in what he came to do in bringing this full and complete peace and wholeness to his people? Assyria was threatening to tear them apart. And we face that too, because the sin that we battle, it destroys and it devastates and it deteriorates and it divides and it brings death. But the Prince of Peace has come and he lived for us and he died for us and he rose again for us and he intercedes for us and he's going to come back for us. And in all of that, he glorifies his Father by initiating and fulfilling his promises and bringing that shalom to his people. So Jesus Christ is God's sign to us that our future is secure, that everything will be okay, and that we don't need to cut deals. We don't need to settle for some cheap version of peace, but rather in Christ we can experience more and more of that inner peace. Again, awaiting the fullest expression of peace that we just cannot wrap our minds around right now. So just like Isaiah was screaming at Ahaz, believe me, everything's going to be okay. This is my kid. He'll prove it to you. The birth of Christ is screaming at us, I'm with you. And this isn't some abstract thing. This is for reals. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. And in him we have a peace that lasts and a certainty for the future that, though it can be shaken, it's a peace that will increase in our hearts the more we see the faithfulness of God. And so it lasts when we lose the job. It lasts when we have that hard conversation with a friend and that friend becomes a former friend. It lasts when we get that diagnosis that rocks our world. And it lasts when we sell out. When we choose to trust the word, uh, world rather than the word. When we choose oppression rather than freedom in Christ. Because what Jesus has accomplished for us is a lasting peace with God. A peace that even people like us can't screw up. As we choose sin, we repent, we come back, and we still have that peace. Because in Christ, it is full and it is complete and it cannot be lost. So by faith, we have the Spirit of God who lives in us. He is the comforter, the paraclete. He is the one who reminds us of this peace and empowers us to live like we have it in this life, even when oppression seems like a better choice. So what does trusting Jesus for that full and complete peace look like for you in this season? You might be calling that friend, even though you know it's going to be a hard conversation. In other ways, it might be stepping out in faith to enter into that battle more, more, um, more specifically. Maybe it's becoming a community group leader. Maybe it's joining the care team. Maybe it's having those conversations with people at work or in the dorm. Where is God calling, to tr- calling you to trust him in the midst of those battles for faith that we're called to fight alongside him, knowing that we have peace here, we have peace with God? Where are you afraid of pain? Where are you afraid of failure? If I do this and fail, what will people think of me? I couldn't live up. Of course you couldn't. That's kind of the point. But in Christ, we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that our future is secure and that in him everything will be okay. So lastly this morning, 
We stand firm in faith while sharing faith. Or we could flip that around. We could share our faith while we stand firm in faith. These are things that, as people of God, are happening at the same time in varying degrees in our lives. And so, again, remember what we learned so far about King Ahaz. He was a bad king. But yet God had chosen to love the people of Judah despite themselves, sending Isaiah to remind him that Judah's future was secure, despite the fact that they were facing wars on two fronts. Remember, he brought his son, a remnant shall return. Like, that's a weird name for us, but for Ahaz, that was a big deal. It had a huge, important message. But after Ahaz decided to sell out and submit God's people to oppression under Syrian rule, God told Ahaz that it's going to be tough. But God sent Isaiah to Ahaz once more. And again, God tells Isaiah, bring another one of your kids. And this kid's name was Maher Shalal Hashbaz. You can find it in your notes what that means. But even the English translation of that is still hard for us to understand. It means the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. The spoil speeds, the prey hastens. So that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but for the sake of our time together, Judah at that time, they would have taken this as a complete and absolute certainty that God would act, their uh, their enemies, Israel and Syria, would be destroyed. And that would happen fast. God was not standing still. He was not waiting for Judah to get their act together before he intervened on their behalf. And so God tells Isaiah, take a really large tablet with you. Okay? And I want you to write this down in common characters, and I want you to use reliable witnesses. So in other words, God wanted Isaiah to proclaim this reality to anyone and to everybody. Make it big, Isaiah. Use big words on a big scroll. Don't use language that's hard to understand. I know how you tend to write, but let's make this something that we can all grasp, okay? Let's make sure everyone in Judah knows that I'm going to act. I'm going to act swiftly. I'm going to act thoroughly, and I'm going to act soon. Okay? And he did. It's exactly what God did. Israel and Samaria were destroyed, but Judah remained. Barely. But as God promised, there was a remnant. Despite their lack of faith, God still preserved Judah. And God wanted everybody there to hear and to understand and to believe. And for us, we exist to do the same thing. Use a large tablet, River City, and share the good news of God's faithfulness so that it can be heard, it can be understood, and it can be believed. And so together as a church, we get to stand firm in faith. We get to continue taking part in this ongoing work to make the work of Christ known in the world, showing that our God is the true God, that you don't have to submit to lesser kings, but our God remains faithful to his word. He blesses. He is merciful. He shows grace. And we, together, are living proof of those things, despite our selling out, despite our settling for lesser kings and being okay with a certain level of oppression. God still wants to use us. And in that, I realize now I needed to get fired from my job. I was so, so arrogant. And I actually thought that I was being promoted on the Zoom call when they fired me. Ah, ouch. But now, I can see that God is a God who acts. He acts quickly. He acts thoroughly. 
because he wants this peace that comes only through faith in Christ to spread. He wants the, his name and his fame to be uh, believed on in my own heart, to be rested upon here so that it can go out here. And now I get to stand here, the idiot that I am, and let you know that everything is going to be okay. Because of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his intercession, and his inevitable return, it reminds me that my future is secure and that everything will be okay. And so now as a church, we tell each other that kind of stuff, right? That's why community groups are important. When's the last time somebody looked you in the eye and said that to you? Hopefully not that long. But experience tells me that it could happen more. We get to make disciples who make disciples who plant churches that plant churches. And that's going to be really, really hard work because we're not waiting for our enemy to come to us. We're going right out into the fray. Rather than waiting, we are going to the harassed and to the helpless, to the sheep that don't have a shepherd. And we get to tell them that in Christ, everything will be okay. Your future is secure because it's in him and with him and for him. And this righteousness that we get from Christ, it brings us this peace. But that wasn't something we ever asked for or figured that we needed until we realized it's really needed. But this righteousness is truly the, the greatest gift that we can receive. And right now we're being bombarded with so much about what we're lacking, what we don't have, what other people tell us we need. We're being told left and right to sell out. We're being told left and right to settle. And we're being tempted to submit to this world that's opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. But the things that, that we celebrate, they cannot be stuffed in boxes and wrapped with paper. But as the kids sang this morning, our greatest gift was laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling cloths. And nothing can contain or stop or hinder his peace and his justice from spreading. Because remember, the end of verse 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen? Amen. So let's be the kind of people that stand firm in faith together. We invite people like Richard to coffee shops. We sit down across the table and we tell them with certainty and with conviction that everything will be okay, that in Christ your future is secure because he is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, we give you praise this morning for who you are, who you revealed yourself uh, to be to us through your word. Lord, we see only in part, but we know that there's so much more to see as we walk in this world, as we follow you by faith, as we trust you, as we face oppression within, oppression without, Lord God. We give you praise for your saving work in and through your Son. And we confess that, Lord, we are prone to settling, we're prone to wander, but all we can do is come to you and come to the cross and say, Lord, forgive us, cleanse us, make us more like your son. And so do that now as we ponder these things. Would you comfort us and would you change us by the finished work of your son? Would you empower us to live for your glory, for the good of your people, for those who are oppressed, for those who are hurting, for those who are submitting themselves to another king. Lord God, use us by the strength and power that only comes by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.